When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today and every day, I'm here with my friend Steve. I guess every day we record this show to talk about TV shows. Go again. Go again. (laughs) Every day we're here. Every single day. Hello and welcome back to our show, the podcast, where we talk about TV shows with our friends. Steve and I are here to wrap up Season one of FX original series, Atlanta, created by, often even written and directed sometimes by, definitely starring Donald Glover. Donald Glover, not related to Danny Glover, to be clear. However, there are some other Glovers involved in this, and I wonder if they're related to him, maybe, I believe. It's like a Steven. So this is a very original and, as we've said, imaginative series. And we have just finished watching season one. So, Steve, take it away. Thank you, Eli. And so excited to come back and talk about season one of Atlanta. Um, And you are correct. The Steven Glover on this series is, in fact, Donald's brother, Nice. They worked together in tandem. He was the story editor, and if I'm correct, the story editor is sort of a level above the show writers where they kind of represent the showrunner on set for all the episodes, making sure that the story is being told correctly the way the showrunner, who I would assume is Donald Glover for this series. But yes, his... Him and his brother's hands are just all over this series. And there are a few episodes that were some of the more kind of out there original ones that were (laughs) written and directed by Donald. There's one in particular that I'm thinking of that was just uh, a big departure from from all the episodes. Curious to know your thoughts about that. But overall, each episode, you know, we've talked on shows with friends about mini capers. Mm. And I feel like in a lot of ways he, we do these like mini out of space capers. So it'll be, um, these stories or moments in their lives. If it's, if it's an episode that's more rooted in the characters, arcs and storylines, oftentimes it has to do with his cousin, paper boys, career, him being involved with that. Um, but many times it's, and there's a wonderful episode where it has more to do with his partner's career and him showing up for um, his his life partner, baby mama. Um, but even in those more realistic settings of things, whether it's a celebrity basketball game or it's a club appearance or a cocktail party in an affluent neighborhood, there's always some type of irreverent journey 
that gets <laughs> that we get taken on in these spaces. So Eli, I would love to know what your impression was of Atlanta the first season as a whole. Yeah. It's quite a first season. I think it's clearly created, written, maybe even story edited uh, with a complete tale, a complete arc. Um, At least that's how it feels. And for me, I thought going from two and three on the heels of the pilot and then diving into the rest of the first season, we get kind of everything we'd hoped for and more. We get, as I was, I guess, sort of guessing at the time, a lot more magical realism, um, a lot more creative and imaginative storytelling. And as you said, we get mini capers or um, sometimes what just feels like not even mini capers, but as we talked about earlier, we're dropped into a setting, a reality, a TV show, (laughs) (laughs) right? So they are very um, individually distinct and have arc within them, right? That mini caper idea. And yet there's something larger and um, more running through these than an actual comedy sitcom, um, you know, a la Goldberg's or even really Dairy Girls. Um, And I think part of it is just the imaginative and at times certainly magical realist um, storytelling, especially as the the first season grows deeper and uh, longer deeper we get in here, we're accustomed to the imaginative storytelling, but we never quite know where we are until the episode is kind of underway, right? So it really transports you, and we talked a little bit about Atlanta and the different neighborhoods. This is more about these different situations and dropping us or putting us really into a reality for each episode. Um, I love the the titles of the episodes and even the descriptions on Hulu are really funny. So this is a great, a great first season that I think is um, filled with really fun episodes and yet definitely has a larger thrust and arc and just style that um, that flows through all these 10 episodes. Yeah, and keeps you guessing, right? You never kind of quite know what to expect with each episode <laughs> because either it's it's pushing the narrative, the story of these characters forward, and then there's elements of magical realism in the comedy and the story, um, or it's it's sort of taking you on a more realistic journey with characters that are just totally out there and, uh, you know, in their own, in their own space. Yeah. And I was curious 
I was curious if like there was a differentiation between that when you were like watching each episode, if you felt like, oh wow, yeah, this is way more magical realist. Oh, this one's more um with the with the with the one that was like the Montague episode just mm-hmm. being like the outlier as like a kind of like a different thing mid season, which I thought was kind of cool. It's kind of like a mid season break. <laughs> um Montague. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this this first season really um it's very playful with reality, as we've said, and it does that in these sort of, you know, magical realist or very imaginative tales and moments and storytelling and, um, and action. And also this Montague episode, while certainly an outlier and its own um, thing, it is one of the other things they do, which is they really lean into but change the reality of popular culture. And from that, I forget if it was two, or no, I think it was three when they buy drugs in the woods and it's actually Migos, right? So, yeah. but in this reality, no one's heard of Migos, right? They're drug dealers who have never really gotten big rapping yet. Um, and then we get... Black Justin Bieber, <laughs> yeah, the celebrity, yeah. you know, basketball game. And then we get, you know, in Montague, this reality, this show, this Montague character, which is all completely, uh, you know, nod to a lampooning of whatever you want to call it of um you know from montel to oprah to you know you name it yeah there's a guy in new york who's very similar which i would imagine because donald glover spent a lot of time in new Mm -hmm. york too that that uh he was inspired by but just very similar like set structure Mm -hmm. sitting at the table i think they're kind of yeah they're playing off of probably a few different archetypes and then um it almost feels throwbacky though to more like '90s when there was, you know, Montel and Phil and you know that golden era of uh, original. Um, I don't even know what you call those kinds of talk shows. I guess they're just talk shows, but um, talk shows that always lead to baby mama drama, uh, people, you know, unexpectedly popping out from backstage and. Just all that. This is a little different, right? It's more of this sort of like round table, like more serious discussion. Yeah. Um, and it's, yeah, like you said, there's some uh, direct probably shows they took this from. But there's almost like uh, the tone is almost inside the actor's studio a little as well. It's just really funny. And of course. Yeah, like Charlie Rose. Absolutely. Yeah. Funny. like, And, you know, it's it's a bit of a an outlier in that they've literally made the, that whole episode as if you're watching Montague, right? So we keep getting commercials, uh, which is... Yeah, yeah, the name of the episode's actually like the network mm-hmm. that it's on, B, whatever it was, like BNC or BCN or something. Right. Yeah. Um, so the commercials were like, were also like probably one of the more entertaining parts of that. <laughs> um, yeah, it's really fun the, and funny and... The guy from the bus has his own like commercial. <laughs> kind of a throwback there to that weird character. It's really random. And yeah, just as we've said, leans into this uh, very imaginative. And not only imaginative, but I think we can just firmly say very sarcastic 
um, very tongue in cheek, cheeky even if you want to get British. And as we've said, also there's a style of humor that's very slapstick, that's very non sequitur. Um, and all of that comes together in the Montague episode and a few other episodes and moments where they're really just going for it. And I love that the story remains very steady and consistent. And a lot of the things we already talked about in the first three of these characters and the reality of their lives continues um, but yet they just lean deeper and deeper into this very imaginative, fun way of telling this story. So we get, you know, Montague, which has just an amazing arc. And by the end, the, you know, w- woman who's there to stand up for trans rights is actually agreeing with Paperboy. And the guest they have on is uh, really transphobic and bigoted and just really funny the way they kind of turn that all on its head. And um, then we have, as you, you know, kind of alluded to these other settings that an up and coming, you know, underground street rapper would be in. So he's getting a, a feed, a headline, a club, but actually there's confusion as to whether or not he's playing, what he's actually getting paid, right? Like these are all realistic situations. And, where they go with it and how they tell those stories and this continuous situation or um, just sort of larger situation that Earn and to some degree Paperboy, um, Alfred, find themselves in is this sort of (laughs) disrespected yet obviously like really getting super popular. More and more people, you know, know about them. They're getting lucrative opportunities, but they still are always kind of getting uh, the shaft in some ways too. And it's fascinating the way that that plays out and, you know, that club episode and a number of others where we finally, by the end of season one, Earn is, feels like he's making some progress, yet he's literally lying on a moving pad on it looks like maybe a couch in a storage locker looking at like maybe 200 bucks he has to his name, right? So it's it's just an amazing arc of ultimately more hardship than success in the story. Yet we have this feeling that like they're doing well though and something's brewing and earns maybe really getting his life together, maybe really showing up for his baby and for Van and maybe going to do something with his life. Yeah. And that, in that ending shot is a sort of a misdirect for the whole series. Cause in that moment you find, cause in the, in the earlier episodes, the goal was to kind of like contribute money to the household so he could be staying there. Right. So then by the end he contributes money and he sort of fulfills his fatherly role. And then he goes to be by himself in that sort of closing shot, which is sort of, then what's for him? It's like, right, building on the $200, that's like just his. And earn setting out his own goals. I like, you know, if we kind of break down these episodes, 
that aren't the Montague episodes in a way. Some have more magical realism. Some are more rooted in reality and in the situation of the characters' lives. So like even with the club, the the, the episode, the and I agree, it's there was this dichotomy of like them kind of blowing up, but then still like a step behind. And I think a great example of that was when Alfred left the VIP section and then tried to come back and the bouncer like rejected him even after they had like the whole exchange and his just kind of Oh, you mean uh, Darius. Oh, is it Darius? Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Alfred is paper, paper, paper Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Darius. Um, well, I think we might have called Dwayne in a previous episode. <laughs> it's definitely Darius. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> yeah, I mean that. I mean that character's great. Um, <laughs> I forget what episode it is, but there's the gun range scene <laughs> yeah. with him, <laughs> which is the one. Like, you can't shoot a dog. It's a picture of it's a picture of a dog. Like, what's the? Uh, yeah. <laughs> awesome. And then it just points out the just complete and utter lunacy. Like, so yeah. you want me to shoot people? You know, it's yeah. just yeah, the, it's amazing. And there were like South American guys there that like kind of got on his side, and they're like, <laughs> there was a whole started this whole philosophical debate yeah. in the gun in the gun shop. That was that was great. And so like those, I think about that particular moment. I think about when. Um, what is the girlfriend's name? Uh, Ern's girlfriend or? Yeah. Or baby mama slash. Yeah, baby mama. Maybe partner. Vanessa, Van. Van, Van that's yeah, right. Vanessa. So Van, when she loses her job that whole episode of going out with her friend, mm -hmm. um, kind of getting set up by her in a weird way, feeling awkward, yeah. smoking, then admitting it, to like her boss <laughs> when it, well, she didn't necessarily have to at all. Like, ah, and, we don't uh, really care, but since it, you admitted it, now I have to fire you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's terrible. Um, and those, so like, then there's the club scene that is on the surface rooted in this reality and more of a situational thing, but there's the invisible car. There's like the elusive um, club promoter who keeps like disappearing. Um, so like a little more magical realism there. And then even in the Justin Bieber episode, and then also the um, Juneteenth episode, mm -hmm. there they take you into these situations with these characters, like the white agent and then the white husband in the Juneteenth episode. Um, that really become like surreal for her. <laughs> and he's like, like with the, with the agent in the Justin Bieber one, yeah. at the, who thinks he's just some other agent who like ruined her career. <laughs> and she, like, and there's that whole scene where she like goes off on him and he's like, I think there's been a misunderstanding here. Um, I'm not. <laughs> so I, I was just curious about what you thought of that when it, really actually goes to magical realism. Like there's an invisible car, like smashing and you know, crashing into people in a parking lot <laughs> to when it's just, he's in this situation that's just ridiculously uncomfortable from a social sociological point of view as a black man right. in America. Yeah. And I think you have to really watch this whole season to get a more sort of holistic and total view of what they're doing. And, I feel like they're, or he, 
ultimately, right, is pointing out the inherent just inanity and insanity and um, madness of what is and isn't reality, right? And like um, that, yeah, we can't imagine what it's like unless we're a young black man in America right now. Like we couldn't imagine it. And I don't know exactly because I haven't like, you know, sort of read up or um, researched what Donald Glover has said about the show and his intention at all. But to me, it seems like, and we can point to specific moments to really get into it, but seems like overall he's showing just the complete and uh, total madness we've gotten to as a society, both within like the question of race uh, in America and also just technology and you know the 21st century of digital age and digital culture and um there's that whole episode with uh zan early Mm -hmm. in the first season yeah right and so that's pointing out this like absurdity of social media and influencers right and Mm -hmm. then they point out a lot of the absurdity of just the club as a whole earns conversations with the bartender, um, you know, then they point out the absurdity of guns and, you know, they, so they're really like almost spotlighting each episode, something and how totally the absurdity of, of the industry. It's uh, of, of the entertainment industry. So like at the celebrity basketball game, like Earn couldn't have just gotten into that industry mixer himself the woman, it had to be a white woman who also didn't have a pass, was like, none of us want to be here. You know what? Like, just less. And all of a sudden, like, they were inside. Yeah. Yeah. That was interesting. And I think they are very carefully mixing that kind of a moment, which is definitely a representation of reality. Stark reality, right? And Mm -hmm. that Juneteenth episode a lot of things that get really out there and are like also stark parts of reality. The prison episode, you know, too, um, Mm. I believe it was just, that's the reality. Like if you've never been processed, you could sit in jail for 12, 24 hours because you've literally never been arrested, but repeat offenders are in and out. They're known quantities. They're treated differently. Um, so yeah, it's really, I think overall, pointing out the absurdity of our culture and why wouldn't there be an invisible <laughs> car, right? Like, yeah, there's self-driving <laughs> cars, there's private flights to the moon. There's, you know, social media influencers who are literally just exploiting exploiters, <laughs> right? Like this stuff does exist. And so I think the, the moments that are, um, from, you know, sort of imaginative to full-on magical, magical realism are all serving to tell this story and point out um, what it must feel like, what it, you know, is to live in this modern age yet still be stuck in 
uh, a reality that you know we attribute to not only 19th, 20th century, but just colonial even, right? Um, so <laughs> we won't try to speak for the creator. No, I will. I will say it was interesting, you know, from my perspective to watch it because I think, and we've talked about this before, when when it's a writer director or writer creator in this medium of film and television that really is a window into that artist's psyche. So I felt Mm -hmm. like there was a, a definitely a clear vision into him being like, this is what I want to show you about our culture and about my experience in it right now, whether or not he had any kind of end game or Mm -hmm. uh, for me, it was, you know, fascinating and, the show did an amazing job. Not only did you not know what to expect every time you press play to watch an episode, but within the episode, you didn't know where it was going to wind up mm-hmm. at the end. Yeah. And I, the Juneteenth episode's a really good example of that, too. Totally. I have to shout out, he's actually a friend of ours, the husband, mm. <laughs> Rick Holmes from New York, um, is a wonderful actor, a wonderful guy, and just like um, loved him in this. <laughs> And this role for him, and even that arc at the end, yeah. when when it's revealed, like, oh, you're Paperboy's manager, and then the reaction from his wife, like, oh, you can't choose your family, and it just is this real sour turn that the white husband even shares with with Ern and Van, where they're all just the three of them are like really uncomfortable at the at the woman at the end, right. and that journey of everything that you every cringy moment of the white husband that you experience up into that point all of a sudden he's like on the same playing field it was a wonderful reverse and that happens a lot with these episodes in different ways absolutely yeah and you know what i realized uh somewhere in the middle of the first season what what is donald glover's character's full name earn earn marks and what does it mean to earn good marks get good grades, right? Right. And we know that he is really smart. We know that he got into Princeton. We know that he knows how to earn good marks, right? Like, so I thought that was fascinating. I also was trying to draw some conclusion from other names, but all I came up with is that I feel like that can't be accidental, that name too. So feel like there is a lot of um, intended meaning and intention uh, in all of this. And I think we're uh, both very impressed by how well it was carried off, how imaginative, how it keeps you guessing. Um, And I definitely think the things he's pointing out are really salient and um, I think he's got those sort of gotcha moments in a way or those like like flips at the end that you don't necessarily see coming. And then just parts like the, you know, the gun range episode with Darius and uh, Montague where all you have to do is just show what is a very believable scene, Right. Doesn't in a way it doesn't have to even be tongue in cheek. It's just so believable yet absurd both in those moments. And so, um, yeah, as we've touched on, just a, a really masterful way of 
mixing reality, magical realism, playful, yet really stark and real. And that Juneteenth episode is almost serious as a whole. You know, it's like, it's pretty deep and intense and, um, and the end of it, yeah, both that, you know, final moment at the party and then that Earn really earns Van's respect again or something in that um, where they're allied at the end. And um, so you see them in the car, right? She's like got passion for him again. Right. And they're very far away from each other at the beginning of the episode. So right? He wakes up with another far, girl. Right. She literally yeah, picks that, up from another girl's Yeah, house. and time kind of jumps between episodes, too, that are the episodes that are more linear are seem to be kind of far apart. Like, you, at a certain point mid-season, they're full-blown just with other people, like, not not together, right? right? Yeah. Um, so that's, I, yeah, I, I liked that. I liked how it wasn't, it wasn't really hold it to like what's happening in a linear way. It's just dropping us into their story when it when they're choosing to do that. And that finale of looking for the jacket, of retracing his steps, the sort of long drawn out journey that it took him to that storage storage container and to essentially his own moment of being alone that had nothing to do with his cousin or his family and he's just listening to music by himself and very like solitude thing. It was ultimately one last kind of misdirect there at the end of this first season to kind of get you going like, Oh, okay. Wasn't it, you know, like it could have just ended with him like at the family, you know, making dinner and everything's fine and they go to sleep, but they made, gave him his own moment, you know, to say goodbye to her and yeah, and be alone. So it was interesting. Yeah, to be alone and to be, I think for the first time in a way, like self-driven in a way or self, there's something about um, that final scene where Earn feels like, in a way he's like running from or hiding from or trying to catch up always as we start this journey. And it feels like, right, as you were saying, he's like given Van money but then left because needs to be alone slash maybe he's like settled up and <laughs> doesn't want to pay for the night. Who knows, right? But he's right. he's sort of gotten back to square one or whatever you want to call it, we see him finally standing or lying (laughs) on solid ground. Even the reality of it being this, you know, storage locker. Um, So you're correct. It's a good point. He was at the very beginning of the season. He's just chasing it. He's behind with the rent. He's behind with contributing to her. He's chasing after a position to like make money with his cousin or an opportunity there. And then you're right at the end, he's, he's all caught up and it gives him the ability to just sort of be by himself. And that image of looking at the $200 sort of being like, okay, like 
this is me actually like now I'm starting now I'm independent person and I've fulfilled all my obligations right and and this is what my net worth is right now I'm going to go from here and I'm not going to have to give this away to anybody this is mine yeah it was a powerful image yeah I wonder um if you on uh, you know on the rewatch I'm sure you noticed this but on the rewatch, we're curious as to what was in Ern's jacket pocket. Uh, wasn't it the key at the, to the storage locker? Is that what it was? Because his, his, his friend from work shows up at the end, yeah. and he's like, he's like, here's your key. You gave it to me last night. You outsmarted yourself yet again. Oh. So he, he, hand, he pawned the key off. So that he wouldn't lose it, because gotcha. he, he knew he was so drunk that he they might lose it. So he gave it to his friend. <laughs> so he said, you outsmarted yourself again. <laughs> so he didn't think, in that moment, he had the ability to go to the locker, right? So he's home there. Right. Um, and it was interesting, after that moment, that's when he gave her the money. And he was like, here's that thing we always need. You know, and then he goes. Right. Yeah, yeah. Okay, gotcha, yeah. Yeah, I wasn't sure in that like, you know, final culmination if if that's what it was or if uh if there was like something else more mysterious that was just going to be like in the police's custody forever probably. Like his jacket. Yeah, and I I wonder if he didn't necessarily have an intention for sleeping there that night. It was more it was just the key to the place where he had all his personal stuff. Right. He didn't want to lose that. Yeah. Because he got the money kind of randomly. Mm -hmm. Or he wasn't, I don't think he was expecting to get his 5% cut right. from Paperboy, right? Yeah. Like he kind of surprised him with that. Yeah. Um, so then, you know, I feel like maybe it was this moment for him where he had finally caught up and he just wanted to sort of have some solitude, you know, around that. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, a great show. I mean, from a someone who had worked in TV a while, especially in comedy, to then have the opportunity to do his own thing, and you know, bringing his brother in, who was also the two of them being from Atlanta, um, just a really cool, creative and artistic, comedic show um, with wonderful acting and writing, and just. Um, very unique. Indeed. Yeah, very unique. Imaginative, as we've said before. And certainly something I'm glad that I finally watched. <laughs> yeah, it's a good thing we have this podcast. We can share our favorite shows with each other. Yeah, Steve. And that brings us to an exciting time because pretty much wrapped up here talking about season one of Atlanta. And that means it is time to choose a new show. Ooh. This one really snuck up on me. Just happily <laughs> watching Atlanta, excited about a new show I hadn't seen. And uh, yeah, so now... I have to decide where we go from here because there's 
a lot of different ways to go in this world of streaming TV. So, a lot of content. A lot of content. So, from Atlanta, back across the pond to the UK, Steve, have you seen The End of the Fucking World? Oh, no. No, I don't believe I have. Streaming on Netflix. Whoa. This is a fast and furious show. They are not long episodes or seasons. And it is unique as well. And that's all I will say. Because, of course, I don't want to spoil anything. I want Steve and everyone listening to watch the pilot episode to the end of the fucking world on Netflix. (laughs) Yes, that's the title. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, So this is going to be, I think, a good... Good next turn. You know, sometimes we like to really guide this journey, switch it up, or keep us on the same vibe. I think this will be a little bit of both, but also a very unique show and I think a fun one to dive into next. So, so British, British, British. Show. Yeah, always show. excited to watch a British show that I've never seen before that someone recommends, that a friend mm-hmm. recommends. Yep. Uh, Netflix original and. A very tight little 20-minute pilot. So easy to throw on and uh, watch before next week on Shows with Friends when we talk about the pilot of the end of the fucking world. So thanks for listening today as we wrap up Atlanta. And thanks for supporting on social media if you're doing that. Bye-bye, friends. Bye, friends. Hello, friends, and thanks for listening. We just wanted to take a quick moment and let you know that we are really excited to be a part of a growing podcast network. It's called Connected Podcasts, and there are many other great shows on the network that we think you are going to enjoy. That's Connected, C-O-N-N-E-C-T-D, podcasts.com. Thanks for listening.